lovely to see you this morning, and particularly if you're here as a guest who's come to uh, witness Sonny's baptism, uh, we're so pleased that you've joined us, and um, yeah, hope as you not just stand with Sonny today, as she's uh, got wet, got baptised, but actually throughout life, it's going to be a challenge to serve Jesus in a, a country where... Um, yeah, Christianity is not, isn't kind of an official religion, it's, and sometimes persecution comes there. Um, if you've been around during October, you know we've been doing a little series called Sacred. Now you might think, oh, what, does, what does that mean to give you here for the first time? And it's about things in life that we think are holy, things that are special, things that actually, there's things that contain spiritual significance and power. And the first two Sundays in October, we looked at uh, two of the sacraments. Uh, what, is, what are sacraments? I mean, for me, I think they're like sacred moments, sacraments. And, and baptism was one of the things we talked about right at the beginning of the month. How there's a moment as people stand in the water, confess their faith. There's a moment where they say, yes, Jesus is going to be Lord of my life. He's rescued me. They go down into the water. They come up uh, as it, to express the new life. It's a, a sacrament. There's a sacred moment where God uh, seals something in someone's life. And we looked at communion, how communion, uh, holy communion, is a, a sacred moment. It's a, a sacrament. As we take bread, as we take the cup, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection. We remember the freedom that he brings, that he can forgive any shame and guilt that we carry around. It's, it's a, a sacrament. It's a sacred moment. We could have done, there are other sacraments, we, we, the other sacred things that we could have covered. We didn't cover marriage. I mean, marriage isn't just the, an excuse for, to wear a white dress and have a party with friends and family. Actually, marriage is, is a sacrament. It's a, uh, it's a sacred moment when a man and a woman stand together. They make their vows and promises for richer, for poorer, uh, in sickness and health. And they there make that commitment to one another. It's, it's a sacred moment where, where they um, dis display a love that somehow just it echoes into God's love for his people and Jesus' love for his church. It's a bit of a mystery, but it's a, it's a sacrament that we say the sanctity of marriage. There's something sacred about it. But the last two weeks, we've looked at how when God breathes into something, actually the, the breath and the life of God comes in, it, it makes it sacred. So we said about how our human bodies, our human bodies are, are sacred, they are holy, that uh, it wasn't just the first kind of man and woman that God breathed life into them, but for each one of us, from conception through life to the frailty of old age, our lives are sacred. The sanctity of life, there's something about our lives that uh, when we know and love the Lord Jesus, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's a sacredness about our physicality. And last week we looked at the church. The church isn't just a group of people sharing a common interest with a bit of religious zeal. Actually, the church, God breathed on the church. John chapter 20, Acts 2. We see the breath of God coming to a group of people and they become a, a holy people, a sacred people, a royal priesthood. There's something about the church that is sacred. God being here with us. God breathes into humanity, makes it sacred. God breathes on a group of people. The church makes it sacred. And today we're going to look at uh, the Bible and how the Bible is a book that is sacred. It is, I mean, mine says Holy Bible on the front. It's something about a Bible that there is a sacredness about it. There's a wholeness about it. Actually, why? Because in the same way as God breathed into humanity and God breathed into the church, actually God, somehow through the authors of this book, God breathes his 
spirit into this book. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3 as, as Paul tries to explain to Timothy about, about Scripture and, and how does it work. He says this, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 14. But as for you, continue what you've learned and become convinced of because you know from whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, the sacred Scriptures. You are able to make... Uh, sorry, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped uh, for every good work. What Paul's saying is this, this book is a sacred book. Why? Because somehow it's God's breathed into it. The God that uh, Sonny has said she's going to be following the rest of her life. Actually, that God wants to speak to Sonny every day. Actually, the, re the reality is God wants to speak to you every day. We're involved in a relationship and not a religion. And in a relationship, of course, there's communication. And we might say we offer our prayers to God, but God wants to speak to us. And, and the way that he breathes his word into our life, I think, is frequently through this book. But I suppose kind of you asked the way, in, in, in what way is it it's sacred? Is it sacred because somehow God dictated it or it sort of just appeared from heaven? And Because uh, different religions around the world treat their scriptures as, as, as sacred and some of them would feel that they are almost given divinely and therefore they are irrefutable and have divine reverence that you can't contradict them. Is that how this Bible works. Is it something that's been dictated by God and we have to follow it kind of word, word for word? Well, I think in some ways the Bible is a bit more mysterious and maybe a bit more challenging than that. I think the Bible is, uh, again, it was, it was written kind of, um, yeah, over uh, kind of uh, 1,500 years, uh, different authors uh, at different times, kind of recording history or writing poetry and, uh, and, and letters to... Uh, and how do we understand that this is sacred, that this is God-breathed? And I think for me, as a book that was written by truly human beings, somehow as they, they recorded the history, as they wrote a poem as they recorded a parable, somehow God's Holy Spirit, God's breath was working in them. So as they did record historical events, somehow the breath of God, the truth of God was there. As they prophesied, it wasn't just their own thoughts they had that morning they woke up with. Actually, there was something divine about the words that came to their imaginations that they spoke out loud that people wrote down. In fact, Peter, who was one of Jesus' followers in 2 Peter chapter 1, he, he says this about about how the Old Testament was put together. He says this, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. This is the Bible. It's completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. The Bible's a bit like light shining to a dark place, the darkness of our own hearts, the darkness of our world. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That sounds strange, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds strange that how human beings who were really human, they weren't kind of somehow taken over and possessed by the Spirit and started scribbling down. Actually, they were very human beings, but somehow in the way that they wrote, 
they caught something eternal. They caught something divine. And as they wrote it down, the scripture is, is God-breathed in origin. Now, if it is God-breathed, if God truly wants to speak to you, actually, how do we treat the Holy Bible? How do we treat scripture? Again, other religions will, will treat it as kind of, it's infallible, you have to follow it. Uh, there may be a, a temple where kind of uh, the Holy Scriptures are on a nice kind of pillow and has to be higher than the heads of any people. There's, there's different ways people honor their religious texts. But for us, how do we understand this book is sacred, is holy? And how do we treat it? And I think for me, it should be read. <laughs> it's there. It's given to us as a way to help you in life, to, for God to communicate to you, to inspire you, to, in a world where there's so many different thoughts, so many different kind of uh, opinions. Actually, we want to know God's thoughts and God's opinions, where there's so many kind of lifestyle choices that you can opt for. We want to know, actually, I want to live Jesus' life. And there's something about how do we take this? Actually, it's sacred, it's holy. Of course we should read it. But the reality is, people don't read it that often. Even people who come along to church can sometimes really struggle with, with reading the Bible. I meet up with some church leaders to do a bit of mentoring. And, and surprisingly, actually quite a few church leaders at times can go a day or two or a week without reading the Bible, without letting God speak to them. And so, so how, how do you read it? Because I think for many people can find reading the Bible tricky. I mean, how many of you have ever found reading the Bible tricky? Just give me a little wave. Oh, actually, that's, that's most people, isn't it? I mean, it's tricky because it, it wasn't written kind of in the last couple of years. It was written thousands of years ago. It wasn't written in the UK in our culture. It was written in a Middle Eastern culture. Actually, it was written where language and, and how society works were so different from ours. So if we're going to read it as sacred, as inspired. Of course we have to read it and, and understand how it works. Actually, some people think we ought to take the Bible literally. And other religions would say the same about their texts. I think the Bible is too sacred to take it literally. It's too special to take it literally. Actually, we need to take it seriously. And there's a difference between taking it seriously and taking it literally. If you take it literally, you might say when Jesus says, I am the door, He's saying that I'm a plank of wood with a handle. Kind of, and he's not saying, well, I'm a vine. Actually, no, it's a picture. It's an illustration. There's a parable. There's a poem. Of course, we take it seriously because I suppose the first thing I would say about how do we take it seriously is we need to understand that the Bible is, well, it's like a, it's like a library. It's not like one book. It's like a library. If any of you are French or German here, the, kind of the, the word for library is bibliotheque. And a bibliotheque, the first bit of bibliotheque is, is Bible. It's, the, the Bible is a library. And like with any library you go into, there's different books. So you might get a history book or a cookery book or a poetry book. And when you pull off a history book, you'll read it in a certain way. You might read it from the beginning to end. Actually, if you pull off a, a cookery book, you actually might read a cookery book thinking, do you know what, I've want something for tea, I want something slightly spicy, and, you kind of, and you'll flick through the pages to find the recipe that you want. If it's a poetry book, you read a, a poem because you know that it's, a, it's going to be communicate emotion and feeling and drama. And it's the same when we come to the Bible. The Bible is like a library, and when you, you come to a book, you take it off the shelf to read it, you need to understand, is it a history book? It came up just now. Uh, uh, that tells the history of Israel. Is it a book that contains some of the, the law? 
Actually, the, the law is commands. Some of those laws were, were health laws. Health laws about if you're living in a desert away from the, from the sea, don't eat prawns because you'll probably get food poisoning. Um, uh, and there's health laws because God, actually God loves people. He wants them to be well. If you touch a dead body, kind of just wash yourself out. Again, now we've got refrigeration. We have vaccines. Actually, some of those things we can say that law taught us that God cares for us, but we don't need to refrain from eating prawns uh, and, uh, at the moment. Um, but some of those laws are society laws. They're laws in the Bible. The law of manslaughter was first recorded in the Bible. There's moral laws, laws that you think uh, are for all time. Do not murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery. Uh, there's spiritual laws about how the temple works, how a sacrifice should work, how a priest operates. And again, those spiritual laws we don't do anymore because they were fulfilled in the life of Jesus. If we're going to take the law seriously, it's not just blanket, this is what the Bible says. We understand how the law works. We treat it as sacred and holy. We understand that some of the Bible is poetry. And when you read poetry, it has to be interpreted as poetry. I wandered lonely as a cloud. Tim, how did you do that? How did you become water vapor? No, 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 it's not, it's not scientific. It's conveying emotion. And there's something about the Bible that's com, com, it's conveying truth through emotion. There's some bits of the Psalms you read and you think, gracious me, that Psalm seems quite violent. It's about God splat my enemies and I hope they're all childless. And, and, and it's journaling. There's some journaling. You need to understand that actually here's someone like David and he's facing some really horrible things in his life. And he's trying to process the pain and the disappointment. And, he, and rather than actually just wreaking his anger out on physical people, he writes, he journals before God. And he journals his pain and, and his anger and his disappointment. And he journals it. You probably come to the last bit of the psalm. There's a little nugget. A little nugget of, but here's what I found. Here's what's true. And again, we, we don't read those violent psalms and think we ought to be doing it. Or in fact, God's really like that. It's just helping us. God's word helps us to process the pain and disappointment. Of course, there's books that, that bring us wisdom, like the book of Proverbs. There's prophecies like uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel, who for that time bring some real dramatic kind of um, words to the people who live uh, when they're alive. But those echo through history to the coming of Jesus, the birth of the church, Jesus' return. There's biographies of the life of Jesus there's letters written by those first Christians to churches that were just starting and, and to their friends. There's apocalyptic language that is just bizarre. It's kind of, it's a, it's a Jewish form of language that is slightly exaggerated and slightly kind of picturesque in Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, in the book of Revelation. So when we say the Bible is sacred and we want to take it seriously, actually it is a library. When you come to a book, maybe the first thing to ask, what kind of book am I reading? Because you read it in a different way. But through it, God can speak. He can speak to you through a poem. He can speak to you through an example of history. He can speak to you through advice that's given from an older church leader to a younger church leader. Actually, God, as they wrote it down, his spirit breathed in them. And as we read it, he breathes through us. I suppose the second thing around reading it is not just realizing what the genre, but actually I think there's something about how do you read the Bible well and find it sacred. I think it has to do with Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. It says that, doesn't it, in, uh, in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, uh, John says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
and the word became flesh and lived amongst us. Actually, if we're to understand this word of God, we must come to Jesus, the word of God. And sometimes people can kind of rustle through the Old Testament and find verses to justify all kinds of stuff. And you think, I'm not quite sure if that fits with Jesus. And maybe you can look at some of Paul's teaching and, and they come up with all kinds of stuff that seems a bit legalistic and harsh. And I'm not quite sure that fits in with Jesus, which is why I think we, we start with Jesus first. Jesus himself, Christocentric, Jesus-centered. Uh, in Luke 24, as he talked to his friends walking along the road to Emmaus, he says this. Uh, Luke 24, it says this. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This, this book. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scripture concerning himself. But later on, he said to them, this is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me in the laws of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So as we come to this book, we realize there's a deeper revelation of who God is, of what God's like. The writer of the Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many ways, in many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in a dramatically new way by his son, who he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So if you've never read the Bible, maybe you're here to support Sunday and you've never read the Bible, actually, I would start by reading the stories of Jesus. We, I've, we've got at the, at the front here, we've got a, a Luke, a doctor who wrote a kind of eyewitness account. And again, if you've never re read it, you could start with Jesus. Maybe if you find for yourself, it's like there's a breath of God that can speak into your thirsty and dry life. I suppose the second thing when I come to read it there's genre, there's Jesus. I think the Bible was written in a particular historical culture and a geographical background. I think there's something about how do we understand a book that was written uh, thousands of years ago uh, with a history and a culture that was very different to ours. And I think there's something about what is the God-breathed eternal principle and what is a cultural practice? Now, that's quite nuanced, so we're not going to take it literally, because there's some things, when Jesus says to his followers, he's just washed their feet at the Last Supper, and he says, if you truly want to follow me, you must wash one another's feet. Now, I love Jesus. Uh, I know some of you do. When was the last time you washed someone's feet? Well, when Jesus says it, and he said, just as I've washed your feet, so you've got to wash one another's feet if you're going to follow me. But we know there's cultural practice, and there's eternal principle. The cultural practice there is that your, your feet would get mucky and dirty and, and sweaty and, and when you recline for your food, your toes might be next to someone else's nose. And so to wash feet was a dirty, menial, servant-hearted job. So we take Jesus' command of servanthood, we leave behind foot washing, we bring it across to the 21st century, we put it down maybe into our communal kitchen when we come down first thing in the morning. There's all kinds of dirty pots that are there. And we wash them up. They're not our pots, but we're servant-hearted. The eternal God-breathed truth is servanthood. And I think if we're going to take this Bible seriously, then we need to understand what is cultural practice 
What's the history? What, and what we can, in some ways, leave behind. But what's the God-breathed word of life that, in the 21st century, is still just as pertinent and just as real? There's a few little tips. How, how do we take this book seriously? But I suppose the last thing I just wanted to say as we uh, come to a close um, is this. And I think the most important thing about this book is not that you read it. Actually, the most important thing about this book is that you believe it and obey it. I mean, that's the deal. That's the only way you'll find if it's true. It's the only way you'll find if there's power here. It's only the only way you'll find if it can bring you peace and breakthrough. It's reading it, believing it, and obeying it. I mean, Jesus says that at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's this great sermon, wonderful teaching. And then he just says this at the end. If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, you're like a wise person who builds their house, that builds their life on a rock. If you hear these words of mine, you read your Bible, listen to a talk, but you don't put it into practice, how foolish you are. You're like somebody who kind of tries to construct a building on the sand, and as soon as the waves come in, it's just destroyed. And there's something about obeying God's word that you find it's got power. I often tell the story when I'm doing leadership training about um, a time I, as, a, as a teenager growing up, I was slightly dyslexic, and so reading out loud in class was always a nightmare. I don't know if you've ever had that, but kind of, they would have the, everyone would have the same book. The teacher would say, Dobson, read the next paragraph, and I would start reading it. I would just make a hash of it. I would say the wrong words in the wrong order. I'd turn super bright red. You could hear people chuckling, and I'd just, ah, it was just hard. And growing up, in some ways, I kind of had that little kind of uh, in me. And I felt God speak, speak to me through a Bible verse. Again, this, the living word of God. In fact, I, I've put it on the back of, if you've got the, the little teacher in me, I used to be a teacher, the little handout that you, that you got on the way in. I, I've, I've this, uh, six little memory verses there. One of them was this verse. For God's spirit, for the spirit God gives us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And as I just came away to university, and I felt God speak to me, his living word, through the Bible. And I said, God, thank you that you haven't given me that spirit of timidity that's, that's really kind of closing me in. Thank you, you've given me love and power and self-control. And I just felt a little bit of God's word, and there's some breakthrough. But when you feel God speaking to you, he gives you the chance to obey. And so I, two days later, I got a phone call from the president of the Christian Union here in Bristol University. They said, will you read the Bible as part of our, uh, our CU meeting? And there was 300 people in the CU. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to read. <clears throat> Phone down. Uh, and I just thought, oh, God. I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer. Oh, God, I'm really sorry. I'll never do that again. <laughs> I said that prayer. Uh, literally an hour later, there was a phone call. I, was, I used to go to Christchurch Clifton, and the curate phoned me up and said, will you read the Bible reading in our evening service? And in those days, there's about 700 people at Christchurch. And do you know what? I just felt I couldn't say no. I felt God's word had spoken to me. And so I, I thought I had to say yes. So they said it was, um, oh, it's Pentecost Sunday. The reading's from Acts chapter 2. And if you know Acts chapter 2, there's people there from Pergamon, all these horrible. So the service comes, packed church. Uh, they announce the kind of the, the New Testament reading. I go to this big bronze eagle. There's the Bible. And I start reading. And I get it absolutely mixed up. 
And I wander back to my place. I turn bright red and I sit there and I'm thinking, oh no. And I felt God say, well done, Tim. Well done, Tim. And when you put it into practice, when you obey it, actually there's a real power. There's a, if you hear God's voice and you obey it, there's real power. And now I'm st- I still find it hard to read out loud, but I'm not held by timidity. It's because I heard God's word, I believed it, and I put it into practice. And I wonder whether, whether for you this morning, just as we come to a close, I wonder whether you make space to read God's word. I wonder if you make space. Actually, it's God's communication to you. It's God's love for you. It's God's hope for you. In a world where we can feel so lost, so alone, so kind of, yeah, confused. Actually, there's something about taking God's word and reading it and finding this life and this hope. I know for many of you, you find that really tricky. That's why I have this little handout. A little handout with, with seven things that you might like to go away and, and try. Just try one of them. Maybe it is that you're going to read a bit of the Bible and there's some resources on the bottom that might help you. There's kind of a Bible in the Year app that gives you a little bit. There's kind of Bible reading plans on version uh, that you can look at. Um, uh, maybe you want to read, maybe you want to listen to it. Again, David Suchet could read the Bible to you just a little bit at a time if you find reading hard. Maybe it is that you listen to a, a sermon or a podcast or somebody trying to explain God's word. Maybe you can discuss it, like we said earlier on, about being in a small group. Being in a small group and saying, I'm I'm slightly confused. How does this really work in my life? And you talk with other people and discuss it like those first believers from house to house. They looked at the teaching of Jesus and they imbibed it and they lived it out. Maybe it is that you can memorize God's word. Here's six of my favorite Bible memory verses I put on the back of the sheet here. You might want to cut those out and put them on your fridge. Actually, they're just great words to memorize, to, to believe, to put into practice. Meditating, just taking God's word and without being too hurried to think and dwell and meditate on the wonderful truths, his promises, his hope, destiny, story. Maybe for some it's studying and there's, again, some resources on the bottom there about the Muller's Scripture Theology and Culture course, WGC, Trinity College. But the most important thing is, will you obey it? Will you obey it? Let's pray. Um, actually, just, just before I pray, just say, if you haven't got a Bible, we have got some Bibles here. Uh, and if you've come to support Sunny and Chinese is your first language, we've actually got a Chinese Bible as well. So if any of you want a, a Bible in Chinese, uh, we've got a Chinese Bible uh, there too. Um, uh, but uh, let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you are not a silent God who just demands us to follow religious texts but you are God who breathes life. We can't live on bread alone. Actually, something about life needs your word speaking to our hearts. And God, we're sorry where we, uh, yeah, we don't take your word seriously. We don't treat it as sacred, where we don't make space in our routines. Help us, I pray, to spend the time personally with other people to find that your word is sacred. We know your life and your hope speaking into our lives. Jesus, now I pray. Amen.